is the the fifth one. This is the last one. This has been a six-week deal. The first Sunday, we just looked at what the church is not. And then we've gone through these five purposes of the church. The first one is worship God. The second one is tell others. The third one is to serve in ministry. The fourth one is to fellowship with one another. And the fifth one is discipleship. And if you missed any of those, I'd encourage you to go to the podcast and listen to them, especially if you're a member here or you're a big part of this. This is your church. Go listen to them because this is why we exist. This is, I believe, it's why every church exists. And so this is what we've been looking at. And today, the fifth one is what we want to talk about. We want to talk about discipleship. And uh, I was a little nervous about talking about it. Not nervous, but I was just like, God, you know, what what am I going to talk about? And then I really started studying. I was like, how am I going to get all this stuff in on one Sunday morning? Because you could really probably take about four sermons out of it. I promise I'm not going to preach them all today. But um, I am going to talk to you today about discipleship. But first of all, I want to pray. And I just believe this... I don't know about you, but it's kind of been a tough couple of weeks. Any of you ever had just a tough couple of weeks? We went on vacation a couple of weeks ago. I told you on Sunday, the first day we're there, um, Jackson breaks his arm. My little three-year-old broke his arm on the little fireman's pole. He slipped off, fell, broke his arm, broke his uh, right arm. Um, Go through that. And then yesterday, my dad breaks his uh, leg. And, uh, you know, you kind of get to a point. I think Dake, my six-year-old, summed it up best yesterday. He walk, he's walking off, and, and my dad, you know, broke his leg in the pasture, and he's out there waiting on the ambulance, and Dake's walking back with Susan, and he just looks at it, and he goes, this is the worstest summer I've ever had. <laughs> and Dake is so funny. I love my kids. They are just hilarious. They keep us laughing all the time when we're not trying to run around and beat them, but they are so funny, and uh, we do love them, um, and even through the spankings. But, um, but it's just been a couple of those weeks where it has just been... Like we're under attack. And I just say this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we just give the devil a big black eye. What do you say? That's what I'm feeling in my heart. I just feel like today we're going to overcome. I know this. I know that God is bigger than a broke arm. God is bigger than a broke leg. God is bigger than whatever you're dealing with in your life. And I believe today that we'll overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And that we'll overcome by God's word. And so I want to share with you some of this today but first let's pray and we're going to believe that god is going to sink this word into our hearts father we thank you for today we give you praise god because you are good god i thank you that you are on the throne devil you have no right here and you have no privilege these are the saints of god and you take your hands off right now jesus we look to you sitting at the right hand of the father We thank you, God, that all authority has been given to him and that you have made his enemies a footstool. And so today, God, we come and we thank you for what you're going to do here. We thank you, God, that you're going to move in an awesome way. We thank you, Father, that today chains are broken off of people. We thank you, Father, that today people are set free. God, we thank you that today the things that the devil has come to try to rob us, God, that you're going to break his hands off of those things and you're going to restore And so today, God, we give you the thanks and the praise and the glory for what you're going to do in this place. I pray that not one person walks out of here in bondage, that not one person walks out of here in shame and guilt and condemnation. And God, today we give you free reign to begin to move in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you, God, that you set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them to Matthew chapter 4. And we are going to be looking at discipleship this morning. As I begin to look at it, I realize how big of a purpose this is. I mean, I, I guess in my own mind, it was a small thing. I, I don't think I really realized exactly how big it, it really is. And then I began to think about it, and I was praying about it. And I thought, well, if I'm going to study discipleship, I need to go back to Jesus. I mean, because they called him what? Disciples. And so I was like, if I'm going to study discipleship, I probably need to study the original discipler. You know, so I go back and I began to look. And the thing that I saw is that I think we always think that discipleship happens one-on-one or, or maybe in a group, small group. But what I began to see is that Jesus discipled people in all kind of group, kinds of groups. There would be masses. There would be, be tons of people. And yet Jesus was teaching them. He was teaching them about the kingdom. He was revealing the kingdom to them. Then he would take the 12 and he would go off and he would begin to disciple them and he would teach them. And they were right there together and they, they, he, would, he would pour more and more and more into them. And then from the 12, he would take the three and he would take them to places like the mountain of, the mountain of uh, transfiguration. And he would take them up there and they would get to see things that were awesome. And so it just makes common sense that the smaller the group, the more he could pour into them, the more he could spend time with them. But I did see that there is discipleship that happens in all kinds of settings. In a way, this is a big, this is part of discipleship right here. Why? Because we're teaching the things of God. We're revealing the kingdom of God to people. We're talking about Christ and what he did. We're talking about Christ and the kingdom he came to reveal. So when we look at discipleship, we see that, that really it, it happens in all kinds of settings. It happens in all kinds of places. It happens in, through all kinds of teaching. It happens in all these different ways. And we see that Jesus really taught so much through life experiences. I mean, how awesome would it have been to have been one of the disciples? And you're just walking along and, and Jesus is like, the kingdom is like. And he just starts teaching. Or he walks up to somebody and he says, listen, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. And you're just standing there and you're just like, you know, you just be amazed. Like, oh. Oh, my goodness. And it would have been so awesome. And I think that we're called, too, to do life together. We're called to live and to learn about discipleship through life experiences. That's why we talked about fellowship last week. That's why we have to be in fellowship. It's so that we can learn through life experiences, so that when things begin to go on in the world, we don't just accept them for what they are. We begin to look at it and go, now, is this what Jesus said the kingdom of heaven was like? Is this what Jesus said it was supposed to be? Because so many times things happen in our lives. Things come along and, and happen in our lives. And we just, just accept them. And yet the word of God may say that it's not even the way it's supposed to be. So when we begin to learn it, we begin to walk out our life experiences together. And we begin to apply the word of God to our lives. That was how Jesus did discipleship. With large crowds, small crowds, medium crowds. But he taught people about the kingdom. I want to read to you. Matthew four eighteen through 22, just kind of as an introductory scripture. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, two other brothers, James, son of Ze- the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. In all the different settings, all the different life experiences, all the different ways that Jesus taught, the one thing that I believe stayed the same was the purpose of it. 
And the purpose of it was to reproduce himself. The purpose of, of discipleship was so that he could pour into other people so that they could be Jesus to the world. Think about this. The first thing that he did was he came and he began to call people. He began to say, come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. And he would begin to pour and he began to teach and he began to lead so that they could become Jesus to the world. Think about this. How, how crazy would this be that you know that in three years from now, you're going to be gone. That you're leaving. And you've got to leave the kingdom of God being established on earth to a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. I mean, this had to be an intense discipleship process, right? It had to be so intense that, that he could come and, and, and pour everything he had in him three years from then, leave, and then carry out his mission. I mean, I hope I'm here longer than three years, you know? And so we go and, and, and we see, though, that he was pouring everything he had into him. He was pouring it out into him. And it was all because he needed to reproduce himself in them. See, that's why it's just crazy to me. And I want to read this to you. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll read it to you. But it's John 16, 5 through 7. And this is really, really, really... This scripture just caught me one day. And I, and I just really had to ask God, God, what, how is this? And it says in 5, it says, Now I am going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I was reading that one day and I read those verses and I thought, my goodness, how could it be better than walking with Jesus? I mean, here he is. You know, I mean, think about how the disciples must have felt about this. They're walking along. He's doing miracle after miracle. He's doing all these things. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. Their eyes are being open to what the kingdom of God really is. And then all of a sudden he says, oh, by the way, I'm going to be leaving, but it's better for you. Don't worry about it. And I read that. I thought, how in the world could it be better? How in the world? What would be better than having Jesus walking right beside you every day of your life? There's nothing better than that. And then God just spoke to my heart and he said, Brandon, it's better to have me in you than just walking beside you. And so that he left, he went to heaven. He, he, he went to the right hand of God, the father, so that he could send the Holy Spirit, not just to be around us and to walk beside us, but to be in us. That's why it was so important. That's why the day of Pentecost had to happen. It says when the day of Pentecost fully came, it was the right time. The time had come and the Holy Spirit of God was poured out upon those people. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They, didn't, they were lost as a ball in high weeds until the Holy Spirit filled them. I'm just going to tell you, they didn't. Jesus walks through the door, appears to them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. He blows on them and then he leaves and Peter went fishing. If I just saw a dead man walk through the door, the next thing I'm going to do is not go fishing. I'm going to go do something. I mean, I realized that he really was the king, of, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He really is the Savior. i got to go tell somebody. But they didn't even have a clue until the Holy Spirit came upon them the day of Pentecost. And they were still learning after that. But it is such an important thing for us that we begin to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That we ask God to fill us continually with the Holy Spirit so that God can reproduce himself through us. So that the thing that is better than Jesus walking beside you is Jesus living in you. 
we begin to experience that, it begins to transform our life. But it's all done because God's desire is to manifest himself in you. Is that not just blow your mind? That the God of the universe desires to manifest himself in you. I'm like, everybody's like, I'm like, that's cool. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. And that the God of the universe would desire to manifest himself in me is absolutely incredible. In fact, that God could even get me to live for him is absolutely incredible. And the greatest miracle that has ever been done is that God could take somebody like me and have me begin to live for him. And it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit beginning to manifest himself in us. To begin to change us. To begin to direct us and guide us. To begin to transform the face of the earth. He's the creative spirit. Listen, in Genesis chapter 1, the first thing that it says is that the spirit of God hovered over the face of the earth. See, the spirit of God has been creating things since the very beginning. It was dark in form and voiceless, and God spoke and the spirit created. And he wants to do the same thing for you. You know whatever you're dealing with today? That God can speak and it can be made right. That God can speak and you can be healed. That God can speak and you can be set free. That God can change it in an instant when the Holy Spirit is working on the inside of you. That God can speak and create this earth. God can speak and everything that we see has been created. And yet somehow we think that our problem is beyond reach for the God of the universe. And all it takes is for him to speak and the Holy Spirit will create. When God began to reproduce himself through Christ, he, he, he comes and I believe it was for this sole purpose. As I've read it, I believe that he began to reproduce himself so that he could begin to establish a people for himself and that he could begin to reestablish his kingdom on earth. See, in the Garden of Eden, God was establishing this perfect, this paradise, this perfect thing. And then sin came and all hell broke loose, literally. And all these things began to go haywire. And yet God had a plan. God said that before the foundations of the earth, he had planned for Christ. He knew he was going to have to redeem and he created anyway. That's the amazing thing about it. God knew that we would fall short. God knew that we would sin. God knew we would make mistakes. And yet he said, I'm going to create them anyway because I'll come. And then at one point, some point, I will die for them and I will redeem them because I desire this relationship with them so much. So he was coming and he wanted to reestablish his kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. And we're not going to start a crusade. I think this is one of the verses that the crusaders used when they went and killed a bunch of Muslims. But see, here's the thing that we've got to realize. God has called us to a battle. God has called us to begin to reestablish his kingdom here on earth. When, when John the Baptist began to preach, Jesus said the kingdom began to move. It began to collide. Listen, you need to get a picture of this in your head. That when John the Baptist began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That their kingdom of heaven was beginning to come. And it was beginning to smack the kingdom of hell right in the face. Jesus even said that the devil was the prince of the world. But God began to come and he began to smack 
the devil right in the face. He began to smack the kingdom of evil right in the face. And on the day of Pentecost, I believe that the kingdom of God began to come through all of us, through, through each one of us, that the kingdom of God begins to flow out of us. And we begin to reestablish the kingdom here on earth. Now, there'll be one day when Jesus comes back and he sets up his kingdom here. But until then, we're here to renew the face of the earth. God hasn't called us just to dwell here and just begin to kind of just, just chill out here. He's called us to begin to reestablish his kingdom here. Listen, the Bible says that rivers of living water will flow out of you. That's referring to the Holy Spirit. Now, think about this room. This room can only hold so much air, right? So that when the air begins to come through these ducts, it begins to pour out all over the place. Then something's got to be displaced. If cool air comes in, hot air's got to go somewhere. It, it can only hold so much of the building would just like explode, right? Well, I believe the same thing begins to happen through us when the Holy Spirit is flowing out of us with living water. This, this living water is just going everywhere. When we begin to walk into situations, when we begin to walk into people's lives, I believe it begins to displace the forces of hell. I begin, believe it begins to push back the darkness and bring in the light. But we've got to be willing to step in the gap for people. We've got to be willing to run to the lines of the battle. Listen, that's the thing that I love about King David. David said when he got to the battle lines, going to fight Goliath, taking the stuff to his brothers, he was going just to deliver some goods. He ends up seeing this fight. It says that he ran to the battle line. He took off and ran. It says that when Goliath began to come towards David, after David had already said he was going to fight him, it says that David ran at Goliath. And he engaged in the battle. And so that you and I are called to do the same thing. And if we're going to begin to reestablish the kingdom, if we're going to begin really to do the function of discipleship, which is to re reproduce Christ so that the kingdom of God can be reestablished, then we've got to begin to run to the battle lines. We can't shrink back. Listen, it's easy in this life to get beat down. It's easy in this life to, to, to just begin to lose your faith. It's easy in this life to begin to wonder is this even real? What's going on, God? Yesterday, my dad's leg broke, and, and I mean, it snapped in half, and, and, and he fell on the ground. And, you know, and, and he's, he's screaming, and, and I don't know what to do. And so I, I just freaking, he said, go call the ambulance. I ran. I told mom to call the ambulance. I come back, and I just started praying. And I just started praying that Jesus would heal his leg. I laid hands on it. I began to pray for it. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, God can heal this. God can do this right now. It can be taken care of right now. But you know what? It didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. It didn't happen the way that I wanted to see it happen. And I even told Chuck on the way up there, I'm like, why? Why? And we talked about it a little bit. And you know, I don't know all the answers. Why didn't God just heal it? I know God heals. I've seen it before. Heard too many testimonies about healings. Why didn't it happen? I don't know, but I know this. When we begin to see things happen in our lives and we begin to wonder, then the, then the thought can creep in. Why don't I see this? Why, is this even real? And we can get beat down by the things of life. Things come against us and they begin to beat us down. But we've got to stand up. We've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that faith would arise, that we begin to be stirred, and that we stand up in the face of that and say, no, no, no. I'm the one who was created to be an overcomer. Not you, devil. I'm the one who's been given authority through Christ. I'm the one who was created to be the head and not the tail, to be above and not beneath. 
and we begin to realize who we are and we have to stand even when we've been beaten down, when we've been, been just in this, this time or season of our life or maybe it's been years of our life where things just don't seem to go the way we think they ought to go. We can stand on the Word of God. We sang a song this morning that says, His Word never fails. His Word never fails. And we can stand on that. We can believe that. When things aren't going like they seem they ought to go, we can believe that God is still on the throne and He will do everything that He says He's going to do. He's still a healer. He's still a redeemer and a restorer. So that if we're going to see discipleship function, we've got to realize that discipleship is about reproducing Christ in the world through other people. It's about pouring Christ. Listen, I don't need you to have any more of me. I need you to have more of Christ. So it's about pouring Christ into other people. And then we realize that the purpose for that is to reestablish the kingdom of God here on earth. That God is taking back little bits and pieces that the devil has stolen. And if that's going to happen, to be reproduced, I want to share two things with you today. And then we'll get out of here. I want to tell you how I believe that Jesus reproduced himself through these disciples. Um, How he was able to pour himself into them. And what he did to teach them the things of God. And I want to read to you first Galatians 2, chapter, uh, Galatians 2, 1 and 2. It says, 14 years later, this is Paul speaking to the Galatians. It says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. The first way that God begins to reproduce himself through us, the first thing that has to happen is we've got to get a revelation of who God is. We've got to begin to see who he really is. That's why he sent Christ. Hebrews 1.3 says that, that uh, Jesus was the express image of God. So that when you look at Jesus, you see God. When you look at every characteristic of Christ, he manifested God to us. He shows us the heart of God. I believe that it was so important for this to happen because I believe humanity was disillusioned about who God was, who God is. Because I believe they looked at everything going on around them and they projected what was happening in their lives, what was happening in the world to God and they judged his character based off of that. We do the same thing sometimes. When things aren't going well, when the devil seems to be coming against us and we seem to be losing, it's easy for us to take those things and begin to project them to God. And say, well, God, why would you do this to me? Why? And really, in reality, it isn't God doing it to you. It's the devil coming and he's just eating your lunch. So we have to begin to realize that that God's heart is revealed in Christ. You know, I don't know how many people I hear say, you know, that, well, just have this fear of God, like he's just going to come and kill them if they do something wrong. That God would actually come and try to kill somebody just to try to teach somebody else a lesson. You know, the only thing I see in the scripture that Jesus ever killed was a fig tree. The only thing that he ever killed was a fig tree. And listen, every time, other time I see him doing anything, he's healing people. He's bringing life. Now, if he is the express image of God, don't you think that we would have seen Jesus using these bad things to try to bring them to God? But the Bible says real clearly that God is against manipulation. He's against witchcraft. 
He's against trying to work things out where, where, where we, you know, we'll come in and we'll try to manipulate a situation to get what we want. So if God's word is clearly against that, then how could God himself even begin to do that to you? How could God come in and say, all right, I'm going to cause you to break your leg so that you'll come closer to me? That's manipulation. God's not a manipulator. The Bible says that God draws us to himself by his goodness. By the goodness of God, men are drawn to repentance. The Bible says that, that Jesus, Jesus said this himself. He said, listen, if you who are evil know how to good, good, give good gifts, how much more your Father in heaven? But see, we've got to get this revelation of Jesus' heart. God was coming to reestablish his kingdom on earth. I'm not saying that God doesn't use bad things when they happen. I'm just telling you that with the devil on the prowl and he's a lion that looks and seeks whom he can devour, God doesn't have to do anything to you. The devil's going to do enough. So that we can stand up and we can take... Listen, how can we ever fight for something in faith and prayer if we think that God's the one that's doing it to us? How can we stand against something when we think that God's the one that's causing it? We've got to realize that God is a God of love and He draws us to us, to Him by His loving kindness. I remember when Susan was 15 and I was 16. I just uh, The year before, I just had a cousin die... He was 16 years old when he died. He died of uh, lymphoma and cancer. He was 16 years old, died with a, a tumor the size of a basketball in his stomach. A year later, I'm supposed to be going fishing that day. Susan had found a place on her neck. We dated. We've been dating since like we were four or something. So, um, we had already been dating for four or five years. Let's say dating. We were girlfriend boyfriend. She found a place on her neck. Um, no big deal. The doctor said I'm just going to take it out just to get rid of it just because and there's nothing to it don't think there's anything to it but i was going to drop by the hospital just a little day in in and out surgery as i'm walking in the doctor's walking out and he looks and he looks at her parents and says it's cancer and <clears throat> i felt so much anger i was so mad all i could say was i hate god i hate him I hate him. I hate him. And my mom walked through the door of the hospital. And I was cursing him. And she said, Brandon, now's when you need God. Now's when you need him. And I said, I don't want him. I don't want anything to do with him. Because I hate him. I hate him. You know, he could have done something about this. He could have stopped this. He could have. He could have. He could have. And I, could, I just hated him. And I'm telling you, my heart got so hard. Because I thought it was God who was doing this. I want to tell you today that God is not a killer. He is a good God. I want you to know that God didn't break my dad's leg. And that's a lie from hell. And some of you need to hear this today. Some of you need to hear that God has not caused these things to happen to you. He is a God of love. And he is on your side. And he loves you. And he wants to be there for you. We've got to turn our eyes to him because he is the one that can change it. He is the one that can do something about it. And I turned my heart against him. Later, I finally came back around. But I still had a grudge. I still held this bitterness against God. I still had unsurety about God. What if God's out to get us? How, how can I live in this? 
that Jesus came so that he could show us that God loves us. God's not schizophrenic, y'all. God's not crazy. He's not a God of love one minute and a God who wants to kill you the next. He's not a God that just wants to hurt you. He's a God that wants to give you life. The Bible says that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but the Bible says that Jesus came that he could give life and give it abundantly. And I want you to hear this because even before my dad was hurt, this has been on my heart so heavy all week. I just think we are as disillusioned as those Jews were when Jesus was born. We are as disillusioned as those Jews were when Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem. They had no clue. I mean, Jesus, the God of the universe, the King of Kings is riding right in front of them. And they just don't even recognize it because they miss the heart of God. We've got to see that God's heart is real. God's heart is for us. And if he is for us, then who can be against us? God loves you. And he revealed his heart to you in Christ. And when we are discipling people, we are revealing the heart of God to people. We are revealing who Jesus was. When we look at Christ, we're revealing him. I believe that that is why Jesus came as the word made flesh. God had been given his word all those years. He'd been given his word all those years. And yet they were still so disillusioned about who God was. Who, who is God? And so the Bible says that in the word, in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. Jesus came to reveal the word of God to you and I. He came to reveal the heart of God to us. He came to, to show us who God really is. And so that in Christ, we see who he is. Listen, if I were to sit here and I were at the beach and I called you on the telephone and I said, listen, I'm sitting here and I am watching the most beautiful sunrise you've ever seen. And I said, listen, I want you to I want you to paint this. Will you paint this? I'm going to tell you what it looks like. And I began to describe it. Like, well, there's waves. And listen, you've never seen a sunrise before. And I said, listen, I want you to see. A, all right, paint this paint. There's there's sand. Out on the beach, white sand. And then there's water and there's big round things that come in to, from the, the water. There's these wave things, but you've never seen them. And then there's this beautiful orange that's just all across the horizon. It's the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. And you begin to describe it. You try to begin to relate it. When I got back, do you really think that that painting would look like what I'd seen on the beach? No. And I believe that's what happened for so many years with the Jews. Is God was trying to paint a picture. All he ever wanted to do was be obedient to his word. And he's trying to paint this picture of his heart for them. How patient and long-suffering was God? I mean, how long did he bear with them? And yet they still missed his heart. I mean, he could have just killed them all. That's what I would have done. I just killed them all. Start over. Seven days, we'll have some new ones. I wouldn't have done it all. And yet God's long-suffering. He's patient. He's loving. And, he, and then finally, he's like, you know, the only way this is ever going to get done, the only way this is ever going to get done is if I go to them. Unless I reveal my heart to them, they're never going to get this. And so he came and he revealed himself 
to us. And so the first thing that we see that has to happen if we're going to reproduce Christ in the world is we've got to have a revelation of how awesome the love of God is for us. I mean, I know how much I love my kids. And I was on the way home last night and you have all these emotions and you're tired and and you're sitting there. And I was just like, God, I thank you that you love my children even more than I do. God, I thank you for that. Because I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that. And yet God loves me. Take that and make that personal. God loves me. He loves me more than I could love my kids. I don't even grasp that. I can't fathom that. In my mind, it doesn't make sense. And so God comes and He reveals His heart to us through Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes and and fills us. And listen, the Holy Spirit is like the painter and you're like the canvas. It's hard to reproduce something that you've never seen. So God sends His Holy Spirit to come and indwell us and to begin to reproduce Christ in our lives. It couldn't have happened any other way. And so that's why it's better that he went to sit at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit came to indwell us and fill us. The last thing is this in Matthew 3, 11 and 12. It says, I baptize you with water. This is John the Baptist speaking as he's going before Christ. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his weed into the barn and burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. The last thing is this. As God begins to reproduce himself through us, it is the Holy Spirit that refines us. Listen, God comes and He leads us by the Spirit of God to be refined. John the Baptist tells us of Jesus and says, Listen, He's going to come and He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize you with the power of God so that you can be changed. So that you you can become uh, the image of Christ. And this is how God changes us. Through the filling of the Holy Spirit. And it says in here that He'll separate the wheat from the chaff and that the fire will burn up the chaff. I believe that the chaff, if you look it up figuratively, the definition for chaff is anything that is worthless or unmeaningful. So that it says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and it begins to work in your life, it will remove the things from you that are meaningless and worthless. And it begins to change your heart and the Holy Spirit begins to work in us and through us. And when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit as those disciples were on that day of Pentecost. And it comes and it begins to fill us. Then He begins to change our lives. You know, the people that I see changed the most by God are the people who encounter the love of God. And are filled with the Holy Spirit. And God begins to redirect their life. And it begins to burn up everything that's not of Him. Listen, when, we, when, I, when I started living for God, it, it was not... Because I, was, I wasn't afraid of hell. I'll be honest with you. If you had walked up to me two days before I started living for God and said, Brandon, I want you to know that if you die, you will bust the gates of hell wide open. I said, yeah, you're right. I know that. All right, see ya. And you know what? It would have just made me mad. I would have just been like, who are you to tell me? Get out of my face. You know, probably went into a little rage, wanted to fight. But it wasn't the fear of hell that drove me to God. 
It wasn't some tragedy that drove me to God. It wasn't, um, in fact, very few people I know that turn to God during tragedy actually keep walking with God after. Because it is the love of God that changes the heart of man. It is the love of God. When I began to live for God, and when I knew I'd never be the same again, I remember having this conversation with some guys that weekend when I, when I really began to just feel the love of God. I said, I know I'm different. I'll never be the same again. I'll give it a couple of months. You'll be back to normal. No, I won't. I just know. How do you? I just know because I know something right here that I feel that I've never felt before in my life. And it's so much bigger than anything else. And God began to change my life, not because I was afraid of hell, not because I was afraid something bad was going to happen, but because I found how much He loved me. I found that even when I ran as far and as hard away from him as I could get, that God was so amazingly in love with me that I couldn't even fathom it. And when I got to the farthest point I could get to and I turned back around, he was still standing there. I mean, this is, you know, guys, for us, that's not easy to just talk about love, you know. I'd rather talk about, you know, I'd be like the sons, like John and James, the sons of Zebedee. I'd be like, God, just call down fire from heaven. You know, that's more my thing. You know, I remember. But the love of God is so awesome. Listen, God has called us to engage the kingdom of darkness. He has called us to fight with, with weapons. But our weapons are not a sword. They're not a gun. It is the love of God. And the love of God is more violent and works more strong in this, in, in this war that we're in than anything. Because it goes totally against the grain and the culture of the world. And when you love people with the supernatural of love of God. And it's not some made up, uh, manipulated, uh, man-made, manifested kind of superficial love. People just don't understand it. So that when we begin to reproduce, God reveals himself through us. He refines us. He pours out his love. The Bible says it's by the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit that we cry out, Abba, Father. That we cry out, Daddy. And when God begins to change our hearts, we can then direct other people to the one who can change hearts. I think one of our biggest problems is we try to change people instead of pointing them to the one who can change them. And so that we've got this big responsibility through discipleship. That we come and begin to reproduce people. That we, we begin to reestablish the kingdom. And if we're going to do that, then we've got to reveal the Father to Him. And the only way we're going to do that is when we are full of the refining fire of the Holy Spirit.